0: We started a series called Why Church. And the reason why we started the series is, if you've ever thought about it, um, everything that you do has a why behind what you do. Everything that you do has a why behind what you do. If you uh, decided to go to the game last night, there was a reason why. If you decided to stay, there was a reason why. If you decided to walk home, right, there was a reason why. There's a reason why you chose the car to drive. There's a reason why you chose the major to study. There's a reason why you chose the job or the career path. There is a reason why you chose the husband or the wife, or there's a reason why you decided you aren't the husband or the wife. There's a reason why you decided the house in the city. But everything that you do and everything that we all do, there is a reason why. Good or bad, there is a why. And one of the most encouraging, one of the most changing things that you can do, if you're ever trying to incite change or motivate a group of people to do something, in fact, if you have any type of behavior that you're looking to change, one of the most powerful things that you can do is to create a new why. This is why people um, go to a doctor's office and they're you know, wildly you know, in, in danger of some heart conditions and stuff, and the doctor says, hey, <laughs> if you don't do this differently, you're not going to live much longer. And all of a sudden, their why changes and behavior radically changes. But what's the problem is in the church world, We rarely talk about why. Why? If you've ever been around a church, you don't even have to have been to a church, to be honest. If you've ever been around a church, you know that churches have lots of stuff that they do there 's a Sunday morning component to it, or you know for some churches a Sunday night, or for some churches if you 're super cool, like a Tuesday night, you know thing that you do um, there 's usually some type of a group Bible study, smaller group component to what they do there 's usually some type of a service aspect to what they do, but there 's lots of different components, lots of different programs, lots of singing, preaching Bible, um, but rarely do we as churches stop and say in this is why, and when we do, we don 't really give why. We just give who said to do it. You ever notice that? It's because Jesus said so, or God said so, or you know, because Mama said so, or Grandma said that Jesus said so, and so we give a lot of this is who said to do it, but not why they said to actually do it. And, and here's the problem: at some point, you're going, and you're you know, ten years old, twelve years old, thirteen years old, fourteen, sixteen. And because someone else said to do it, you did it. But then you get to make decisions on your own, right? And you start to think, you know, I don't actually know why I go to this every week. I don't actually know why I should prioritize this. I don't actually know why this is so important. I just do it because someone always said that I should do it. And the rigors of the real world meet third-grade theology, And it doesn't stand up, so you stop. And perhaps for you this morning, this is like your last time, you've you know gone to it a bunch of times, or this is your first time coming back for the first time in a long time, and I'm so glad you're here, because here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about why we do something, not who said to do it, although who said to do it is also important. I want to talk about why we do what we do. In fact, every church in America Practically, probably the world does some version of this. This is what it is Love your neighbor as yourself. Love for neighbor, uh, generosity, whether that is acts of service, acts of kindness, brotherly love, you know, sisterly love, whatever it is. You know, there's almost every church, there's some form of you ought to love and help and serve and be some form of others' focusedness. And some will get up and say, and you ought to do that. And it's true. In fact, it's almost implicit in Christianity. If you're brand new to church, come on, you know this. You may have never stepped foot in a church before, but you know part of church is something that Jesus said, which is love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, this is so important. I'm going to read you, this isn't going to be our main text for the morning, but I just want to read you a a part of the Old Testament um, where there was a guy who was prophesying, and he was saying, this is how important it is to love God other people. Well, if you got your Bible, you can open up to the book of Amos. If you don't, then we're going to read it. I think we're going to have it on the screen. The book of Amos chapter five, which I know everyone was walking home from the game last night, be like, man, I'm just thinking minor prophets, Old Testament. So we're on the same wavelength this morning. Uh, Amos chapter 5, verse 18. I want you to hear what Amos says. Now, Amos, Old Testament, prophesying to the nation of Israel, which means which means basically he was the dude that was speaking to Israel, which was kind of the God squad of the Old Testament. And as he's saying this, there was a problem with how the nation of Israel was treating people, especially who were marginalized poor. And so this is what he says. Verse 18. Woe Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Which all of us would say, well, because we want the Lord. We want to see the Lord. We want to know the Lord, right? We just saying, Jesus, Jesus. You know, we just, that's kind of what we want. And here's what he said it's going to be like. It is darkness and not light. It's like, hold on, I thought you just said darkness trembles. Okay, we'll get there. As if a man fled from a lion... And a bear met him. <laughs> to which if any of us are thinking critically, we're thinking, okay, hold on a second. So is so Jesus the lion or the bear? Because either way, I don't feel like that's like the normal representation of like, I ran from a lion and there was a bear and his name was Jesus. And he was out, you know, he's gonna get you type of thing. It's just, it's a really odd illustration. He continues and makes it a little bit weirder. Or went into the house and laid his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is it not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom and no brightness? And, and here's why he's saying this. Because the nation of Israel would gather together for these huge feasts and these huge festivals, and they would sacrifice, and they would sing songs, and they would read the law, which was so much of the Old Testament. And they'd say, God, we love you, we love you, we're for you, we're dedicated to you. But then they would walk out, and they would treat the people who are marginalized in invulner- vulnerable, which were ex- almost exclusively poor in their neck of the woods, horribly. So he says, you say you want God, but let me tell you what God thinks as he starts to give a quote here. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. <laughs> you saying, you treat people like that? I hate when you get together. That's just crazy. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings. I'm not going to accept them and the peace offerings of your fattened animals. You brought this offering. You thought it meant something. I will not look upon them. Verse 23. So take away from me the noise of your songs to the melodies of your harps. I will not listen. Now, here's what he's saying. I would rather if you're going to treat people like you treat people, I would rather you not meet as a church. I would rather you not sing to me. I would rather you not sing Jesus. You know? Hey, if, if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to come and you're going to offer and you're going to worship and you're going to sing, and you know, I'd rather you not exist and meet as a church. And then he says one of the most well-known verses that many people don't know it's a verse, because a number of decades ago, a wonderful man stood up on the Lincoln Memorial and gave a dream titled, "I have, or gave a speech titled, "I have a Dream." And he said these words of Amos 5:24. He said, "But let justice roll like a river. Let justice roll down like waters in righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream." In other words, if you're not going to stand for justice, if you're not going to stand for the, the marginal if you're not going to stand for the vulnerable. then why are you singing? Now, let me ask you a question. If it's that important, if it's that important as Christians, if you're, you, know, you follow Jesus, why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Or, or why is it that when we do that, it's, it's like a, it's an event, right? It's a mission trip. It's a big outreach that we do. What's interesting about that is, is if we were that focused on loving and serving other people all the time, (laughs) it wouldn't be an event, it wouldn't be memorable because it would just be who we are. If you're in here, you're not a Christian or you're kind of on the periphery of Christianity checking this whole thing out, come on, isn't this true? Isn't this why you are just so hesitant about church and Christianity because you hear people talk over and over and over about the love of God and about loving people and serving people and then you met Christians? And they were the least loving, the least serving people that you met unless you were one of them. So let me ask you a question. If this is so core to what being a Christian is, why is it that we are so bad and inconsistent with it? Why don't we do it? And here's, here's what I'm going to argue this morning. When you and I understand our brokenness in light of God's glory, we will naturally and selflessly serve our brothers and sisters, whoever they are. When we understand our brokenness in light of God's glory, we will naturally serve our brothers and sisters because, because here's the problem. For most of us, when we think about serving, we think about something. We think about especially the poor, the the marginalized, the vulnerable. We think about a group of people that we ought to do something for. It's kind of like white knuckling your your will into doing like, oh, man, I know I should. I know I ought to. I know I ought to sign up. I ought to do something. From time to time, oh, I feel bad. I saw this thing. I saw this commercial. I saw this video. I know I should. I know I ought to. (laughs) But the New Testament church was so different than that. It was this feeling of, I am compelled to. I feel like I have to. I feel like, to, to use a double negative from Cottondale, Florida, I can't not do this. It just is who I am. Now, I want to tell you why I think that they got there. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to the book of Romans. Here's where we're going to spend most of our time. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, which I know if you're a, a fairly biblical, literate, biblically literate person, you're like, oh, sweet, we're going from minor prophets to Romans. So hold on tight, Okay. So Romans chapter 3, verse 9, um, <clears throat> we're going to launch into, and, and, and let me give you a little background about why this is important. Again, the reason that we don't serve, I think, on, uh, most of the times is because we have this sense of superiority, and if, as long as I have a feeling of superiority, then that means that I will serve you when I feel like I ought to serve you, and I bring my morality to serving you, um, because superiority, I'll always serve from basically a savior complex that's terribly unhealthy, um, that I ought to. But the want to was born out of brokenness. And the problem was in the early church, they had this collision between these two people groups. There was the Jewish folks who had the lineage of God. And then there was the Greeks or the Gentiles who didn't. So the Jews were the folks who their, their you know their daddy was a pastor and their great-granddaddy was a pastor and their great-great-great-granddaddy. And like right somewhere down the line, it felt like they were like, hey, you know, my great-great-great-great-great-granddad granddaddy, granddaddy. Third service, it just kind of gets wonky there. But, you know, he was like Abraham or something. And they just had this huge lineage of God. And it's like, you're a pastor. Of course you are. You didn't have a choice. Like, like generations and generations and generations down the line. And then there's the rest of us, right? who You don't have a church background. You don't have a God background, a religious background. And when those two groups came together, it was in every sense both a religious uh, meshing together. Then this was, in some ways, this was different cultures and different ethnicities coming together. And there was this feeling that this one group had this superior perspective in the corner on the God market. And so in the book of Romans, the first three chapters is basically Paul making a defense for the fact that, hey, we are sinful, Jews, you are no better than the Greeks. Greeks, you know you're not better than the Jews. Even though you have the history and the lineage and the morality that you have. This is what he says. Verse 9, he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. He says, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Now this is something that regardless of where you are in terms of your relationship with God or you know, your religiousness, this is something we all identify with. Because we've all had that night. We've all had that weekend. We've all had that time, that semester, that month. (laughs) We all had that second quarter where we thought, are you kidding me, right? And then some stuff came out, and we just thought, you know, okay, did you just take care of that? You know, take the wheel in this situation. But we've we've all sinned. We've all turned. We've all gone astray. And here's the problem that, that churches have done, to be frank. For the longest time, churches were known for this idea of like hellfire and brimstone, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're going to hell type of mentality. But then the church overcorrected, and we're we're so so sensitive to saying that anybody is sinful instead of saying, hey, hey, here's the commonality. We are all sinful. We have all gone astray. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you look like, what you identify with or what you identify as. We are all broken and sinful people. We all categorically stand condemned before God. But here is the great part about that. It's almost like we took like, this negative thing of sin, which it is negative, and we just kind of overcorrect it and don't talk about it. But here, here's the problem. If we don't understand the depravity of our sinfulness, we will never really understand how good God is in his glory. Because if I don't need, if, if I don't need saving, then how valuable is a savior? So this, this is how he continues on and he says this. He says, verse 13, the throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their venom, the venom of asps is under their lips, which you've got to be very careful how you enunciate that in church, okay? Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths ruined in misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. Verse 18, he just summarizes and says, This is the problem. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is not a deep, abiding reverence. There's an identification. Sure. I know you're God. There's a general deference. Okay, God, you know, I think you probably know best. He says, no, no, no. There is no fear of God, Almighty God, before their eyes are we seeing you know Jesus Jesus you know but but how many of us' seeing that are just thinking like God this is crazy like like you make the darkness tremble like first off what does that even mean darkness can't tremble you know it's not an object that, that trembles but somehow you make the darkness tremble you look at a guy like John right John who was uh, one of Jesus closest disciples who at one point you know he as Jesus was laying down he went to lay down with him and he put his head on his chest now he has heard the heartbeat of the savior of the world on planet earth John in the book of Revelation sees Jesus in his glory and John, who knows you, like Jesus, Jesus is my homeboy because I pray, you know, Jesus like was his dude and John sees him in Revelation in his glory and falls over as if dead. It's awesome. John then tries to describe Jesus as he sees him in the book of Revelation. You should, you should read it. It's, it. He describes it I think it's chapter one and he's like, and I saw this guy in the, the top of him, it was like this, like this like glowing fire and the bottom of it was different. It was like this, Glowing fire. I don't know, but it was like, I, I saw this thing. I, it, was, it, it was indescribable. And he's saying the, the problem is, is, is we don't really see our sinfulness, so we don't really see God's glory in this. Because if I really understand the depth to which I have sinned and rebelled and gone astray in my brokenness, It's crazy to think that I would ever be able to stand before a holy and a pure and a righteous and a just God. I can't can't good my way into that. I might be good compared to you and you might be good compared to me because good is subjective to morality based on each other. But to the objective standard of Jesus, perfection and his glory and his beauty and his strength, none of us, compare. And the beauty is we weren't supposed to. In fact, what he's about to say is this. And the reason that you have that morality, the reason that you have what they would call the law, all the oughts and ought nots that are in the Bible, was never for you to try to prove your way into God's good graces. It was to prove to you that you couldn't. So perhaps you actually needed a savior. This is what he says. Read this. Verse 19. Now we know whatever the law says Old Testament, morality. It speaks to those who are under the law, which is all of us, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. In other words, by by attending enough, and you came to church enough, and you you know behaved well enough, and you stepped on a Lego and didn't cuss enough, you know, and you gave enough, you know, you 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 did all of the enoughs, and you finally enoughed your way into God's grace. No, no, there's no way. Because come come on, come on, again, if we see God clearly, if we see His glory clearly, His perfection, His His just incredible being in essence. In our broken sinfulness, none of us are going to stand before God. But, verse 20, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law makes me aware, through my inability to stand up to, to become, and to be perfect. I realized probably what maybe I already knew. Which is that I'm sinful. And the Roman folks had such a problem with this because they couldn't stand. Because they would look at the Gentiles, they would look at the Greeks, and they'd say, "Yeah, but we're so much better than them." <laughs> and which Jesus would say, "Yeah, but you're not anywhere close to me, right?" Like, <clears throat> okay, I got a one-story house. Maybe you've got like a three-story house, and like, yeah, yours is like three times as big as mine is. But like, if if what we're reaching for is the moon, like we're not close, right? No, no, no are going to be able to jump off our roof and hit that. that's basically what he's saying. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, a little bit. But that's like, like you don't understand the holiness of God in this. Because if you did, you would understand that is so crazy of a chasm and a jump. And you would not look, Jews, you wouldn't look at the Gentiles and think that you're better. You would look at the Gentiles and say, yep, and I'm broken too. He says... the next couple of verses, and this was the point of Jesus, but now the righteousness of God, the right standing with God has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, it's made itself apparent in a different way than just behaving or behaving at all. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, they were all pointing, saying, there's going to come, there's going to come a guy, there's going to come a savior, there's a different way. This is all the big setup. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. saying <laughs> That we're not who we are because of who we are. Who we are is the realization that we're broken and sinful people. But we serve an extraordinary God who saw our sinfulness and did not hold it against us. Sent his son to die for us. And there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction between the God people and the non-God people that we're all broken, sinful people. There's no distinction based on your net worth. There's no distinction based on your skin color. There's no, I mean, there, there is no distinction. We're all broken I'm just a broken person, and you're just a broken person. And all we're doing is telling people, this is where you're made whole. And that's it. The apex of the first three chapters is in this next verse. He says, so let me just be very, very clear. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let me talk about this. It's so important. It's easy. It's easy. To when you feel like you ought to do something, you ought to help, you ought to serve. To feel like you ought to. But the difference is what the ha- what happens is when the gospel takes root in your heart and in your life. When you realize, when you realize, Man, I am I am a sinful person. I am I am I, I just have have rebelled so many times. There are too many times. There's too many weekends. There's too many vacations. There's too many you know spring breaks. There's too many business trips. You know, there's too many things that I've done and I have just consistently gone off the rail. But I have a great God, a wonderful God, a beautiful God, a holy God who I shouldn't stand before. But He sent His Son to make me right with Him. And so when I serve people what I do is I realize that that's what God did to me I serve not because I'm such a good person or I feel so bad if I I got to because I have been so deeply served I can't help but serve God put me first a rebellious person he put me first when he sent his son to die for me so that's all I'm doing is the reciprocal is that naturally is the causation as his spirit lives inside of me I serve other people and not because I'm better, but because I'm the same, and I have just been so deeply served. God gave a son to die for me. His spirit now lives inside of me. Are you kidding? You see, some of you guys know this about me. I live kind of an interesting life. Not like the most interesting man in the world life, but just a little bit different um, so I pastor the church, and I uh, run up. My family we we own a meat company. It's called Register's Register's Sausage. You should eat it. It's the best sausage in God's green earth. Um, and it's almost like tithing. Okay, <laughs> kidding. Um, kind of kidding. But what's interesting is is, and some of you have some of you have had this uh, kind of dualism happen in your life in, in, in a day's period. where well, you're talk, you'll talk to somebody from from a worldly standard, extraordinary means. And then somebody of no means. You talk to one person and, um, you know, a couple years back, I was, uh, we were doing some stuff, making some decisions. We went down uh, and I ate at Cracker Barrel with this guy. He was the CEO of a company. The company, this was a couple years back, they had had some aggressive growth strategies. And that year, they had done um, over a billion dollars, a billion dollars in revenue. I'm like, hey, can you give me a car, by the way? You know, have you ever sat down with a type of person like that where it's like, you don't have a nice car, you have a nice plane, you know? And then you sit down with somebody who doesn't have a job. Not just doesn't have a job, but is on the streets and maybe just been through some situations and stuff in life. And you look at the guy who has so much and the guy who has so little. And you know what you understand when you understand that we're all just broken people? We're all just broken people. I'm sitting down with this guy who's the CEO and I'm just sitting there thinking... You're the same as me. You've got insecurities just like I do. You've got problems just like I do. Sit down with the guy on the street, you know, you're the same thing. Problems just like I do. Insecurities just like I do. But how this all clicks is that when I serve... The reason we feel compelled, the reason we feel as a church for this not to be okay we 're going to have a missions committee we're going to have you know this, this group of people that try to get other people to do something. No, no, no. Central to the heart of our church. The entire church is this love for other people, this love for the community around us. This is why we decided as a church that we wanted to be in the downtown area in the context where we didn't have to go anywhere else to love, our serve, love and serve our neighbor that was in physical need. We, want to, we wanted to exist in the community where there is physical need. And we love our neighbor because we're all just broken people. But when we serve, it's not, oh my gosh, I'm just so much better. I'm just, you know, holy cow, how could I come serve you? No, no, no. It's the sense of like, right, when Missy talked about her video, like, man, I, was, I, was, I, was, I, didn't know, I didn't know how I was an adequate, which is a beautiful part of brokenness, by the way. You realize I'm broken. I don't have to be adequate because I'm still going to be a broken person. And I just know Jesus. Another sermon, another day. But when I serve, it's this clear understanding that God has called me to love and serve people because he has so deeply loved and served me. This is how he finishes these verses. Verse 25, whom God put forward to be as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Verse 25, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, some of you guys who you know how the church started, you, you know a little bit about this story. But um, when we first started as a church, we felt a call specifically towards um, the entirety of the church. Just because what we saw in the New Testament was that this was central. This wasn't a part. This wasn't a little committee. This was the entire church. And so, what I knew intuitively too, as kind of the you know lead pastor was that I grew up in a family who never had to want for anything material. We had plenty. We had enough. And so as I was, you know, we were starting, we were about to start the church, and we were going towards marriage, which my wife was a saint for allowing me even entertaining this thought. One of the things that I did was I spent two months uh, here in Tallahassee, and I was homeless. And I got to know some extraordinary people, deep relationships, that were rooted. And the reason I say that is because, so this week, um, one of the things I was doing is I was praying about this, this sermon, this message, and I was just thinking, God, like, I, to help someone to feel brokenness, but not because just because they're awful people, but just, but just the realization they're like, God, you are so holy. And then when I see your holiness, I realize my lack of holiness. And like, great, right, because this isn't something that you can just say, oh, A plus B equals C. But to genuinely and authentically love and serve people from a place that's like, man, I'm not better than you. I just want to help you to become all that you can be. I just want to do what I can do. And by the way, when I do that, you're also going to help and you're going to love and you're going to serve me. Because there, there are times that I need serving and there's times that I need to be served as well. And so I'm just going to do that out of an awe and a reverence from God. That's like an emotional thing. You can't just do it. So I just go went to Lake Ella on Thursday. And I decided to start praying and going and praying and going and thinking and praying and thinking and praying. And I'm going through through Romans and I'm thinking just gosh we're so sinful we're so sinful you know but you know thanks be to God because it's not just that we're sinful it's that he is so glorious. So I get done kind of scheduling and outlining. When I was on the streets um, there was this dude I called him the Godfather his name was Michael um, and Michael uh, he basically taught me how to be uh, homeless which was in other words, the first month, I like lost 20 pounds. and the second month, I gained like 30 pounds, right? Because like, it's like, there's no food. And then y'all never know. Like, is there ever going to be food again? So you just scarf and scarf and scarf and scarf and scarf. So <clears throat> he wasn't like that, but he taught me how to be like that. Well, Michael um, was like a mentor to me when I was out there. And I'm sitting there at Lake Ellen. And I'm writing some stuff. And I turn around, and I go to leave, and I see Michael sitting there on a bench, and you got to know this dude, he's, I mean, he's, he had so much potential, he was, he was an ex-marine, or once a marine, always a marine, whatever, you know, marine, homeless now, or was homeless, deeply addicted, encyclical uh, patterns to, you know, some substance stuff, and so I turn around, and I see him, and I just got done reading this, and so I, and so I walk by him, he's kind of, I don't think he had headphones in, but he was just sitting there, you know, writing, doing stuff with his Bible and classic pastor story, right? He's, he's reading his Bible. So I walk up and I just say, "Hey man, that's a good book you're reading." He looks like, "Brother," you know, and he like yeah, he hug gives me like this big hug, and so we start talking. And I'm just asking, like, "Man, how you been? How you been?" You know, we're, we're talking, and, and so I started asking him, you know, "Man, I hadn't seen you in a little while, but you know, how, you know how, how's life?" And he's telling me. He, I knew that he was off the streets, so I'd seen him a little bit before. But he starts telling me kind of some things that were catalytic and some realizations and how, like, I man, I've been trying to do this stuff on my own, but I, you know, kind of gave it to God and I realized and this and that. And he starts; he, he gets so excited. He's like, "Oh, you won't believe this!" He, he points back and he says, "Look, that's my van." Which I want to be like, dude, you got a van. Like, come on, man. So, But no, I was like, dude, that's incredible. Right? I, like, for him... To go from the point where, just to be honest, deeply, deeply, a good friend of mine, deeply addicted to crack cocaine and have it just destroy his life and the integrity and the things that God has given him. I mean, he, I'm telling you, when we meet, it's funny because he calls me pastor, but he ends up talking about God way more than I do. And he gets like, I don't know if you've ever had this, somebody gets so animated when they talk and so excited that like when you talk, you don't know how to respond. It's like, he's like, ah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like... Yeah, also in Psalms. You know, you just feel awkward, and so and so he's like, you know, he's going on and and doing all this stuff, and then talking, and I'm just I'm just laughing and smiling, and he gets so excited because for him to overcome the obstacles to do the things that he could do in order to 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 now be sober on on the off the streets for a number of years and to have his own baby, man, it's extraordinary. And here's what I realized when I was homeless. My job is not to make someone who's poor not poor. It's to help someone who is broken like me to become all they can and can in Christ. And sometimes that's for a poor person to become rich, but sometimes that's for a rich person to become poor. You see, when I was sitting with the guy who was the CEO, he showed me this. He's like, dude, you got to check this out, man. He starts sliding through his pictures. Um, and he shows me this picture. This is how you know you got a lot of money. Um, he got the people of Chick-fil-A, like the Chick-fil-A slide people, to put one in his house, okay? I told him, you should give downtowncommunitychurch.com, you know? Just go on there, you know, you can set it up recurring. But this is how you know. And, and so he's like, he's sitting there sliding to look at me. I'm like, man, that's awesome. That's incredible. And that's not a bad thing. Let me tell you, if you have a slide, invite me over. I want to go for a whirl. But, but, but here's the thing. It's not about the money. It's not about the resources. Here's a simple thing. I look at him who has a slide in his house, and his realtor's telling, don't put a slide in your house. It's going to kill your property value. And the guy's in there saying, who cares about property value, you know, because you got that much money. It doesn't matter. And you got this guy who's just so stoked that he has a van. Both of them are sinful. Both of them are broken. Both of us, and all three of us, are deeply in need of a Savior. And the point is that when I talk to them, when they talk to me, it's not that, you know, man, I'm just helping you, I'm serving you, I'm loving you, oh my gosh, you poor person. It's, man, I'm so excited for your slide, and I'm so excited for your car, because I just want you to be everything that you can be in Jesus, because there is no sense of superiority We are all broken. We have all been served. And so we all love and serve other people. Not from a place of obligation. (laughs) But we actually feel compelled to. So we're all at different places in life, in different spaces in life. But here's what I want you to know. The reason why, for us as a church, that we only have three parts to what we do, the love God, make disciples, be great neighbors. We come together on Sunday, we join in groups, and we serve. We come together on Sundays, we join together in groups of community, and we serve. And the reason why we serve is not because we ought to or not because God said to. It's because we are broken people who have been so deeply served and loved. We're just a broken person telling another broken person who made us whole, and that's it. And they tell us that too. So I don't want you to serve because you feel like you ought to, you feel like you need to, you feel like you should give back. <laughs> all right, I know I said to finish this. This is the last service, so I can just go on and on all day. Okay, so for real, this is the last thing. From time to time, from time to time I'm here on a, on a Monday when the HOPE program's going on. One of the things that we realized for our city-specific city specific and our context specifically is there are so many kids, so many kids who are grown up on the south side who their mama's doing the best that they can, daddy's doing the best that they can, or grandma's doing the best that they can, but there's just some, some distinct and strategic disadvantages that are happening, and we don't come and, and make all the difference. We just come alongside and say, hey, we just want to help you become all that you can be. But you know what happens on Monday night? From time to time, we get done with our staff stuff, and the kids start you know, wandering in about five thirty, six o'clock, and you see these little jokers in there, you know, some of them are four or five, some of them are eight, nine. The older ones come on Wednesday night, but especially when the young ones come in. They walk in the door and you see all the, the mentors that are sitting there greeting them and talking to them. And you know what I see when I see them? I don't see kids who I think, oh my gosh, you're underprivileged, disadvantaged. You know what I see? I see my kids. I see kids with so much potential. I see kids with extraordinary gifting and wiring that they can do something incredible for the kingdom of God. I see my kids, I see that man, you have something like you can do so much, you can be so much, you can become so much. And just like I want for my kids to become all that they can be through the power of Jesus glorifying God with their life, building his kingdom using their unique, gifted, and wired talents and abilities to do something extraordinary for his kingdom. That's what I want for my kids. I see these kids and I think, it's the exact same thing, and I don't feel superior. You know what I feel? Honest, just total honesty. I feel so responsible. I feel so responsible because I know God has given me so much. And I feel compelled to do whatever I can to help as many people possible to become all they can be in Jesus because I see me and my kids in them. Please do not feel like you ought to. I hope our entire church feels like we can't help but love and serve every single person we come in contact with. And if you're brand new to church, considering church, wouldn't you think differently about church if a church actually did it? I think you would. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. God, even as I pray, there's no way I can grasp how big you are, how great you are, how grand you are, how holy you are. God, even my, even my idea of deep and abiding reverence and of the, that fear, not scared of, God, it, it just pales in comparison, I'm sure, to the, to, the, to the weight that I should feel in talking to you. But I just thank you so much for Jesus that in light of my shortcomings and deficiencies, I get to talk to you, God. You served me when you sent your son to die That in light of my rebellion, you still made a way and forgave. And Jesus, I pray for every person who has put their faith, their hope, their trust in that. That whatever place and space that you have given them, whatever opportunity, whatever platform you have given them, you would help them to leverage that, not for themselves. Not for their kingdom, but out of a sense of oneness and sameness and brokenness. We would love and serve our neighbor. We would be great neighbors no matter who our neighbor is. And we would never, ever, 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 ever lose sight that the core of your ministry was a love and a service. A sameness, a brokenness, especially to the marginalized and the vulnerable. So God, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do and the strength and the courage to do it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.